1: Welcome in to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wander and Will Lomas. We are back after a week off for a pretty exciting episode. We're going to talk about the Titans schedule, which was unveiled last week. We're going to dive in a little bit to rookie minicamp, which happened over the weekend for the Titans. Then we're going to be joined by Justin Mello, our good friend, to talk about the Titans' draft class. One of the best guests we have on this podcast. So you want to stay tuned for that conversation. And finally, as always, we will conclude with "Stop the Nonsense." Let's start with the schedule, guys. Uh, we got it just about a week ago. We know the Titans' three preseason opponents, which we did not know uh, before the schedule was put out. But in terms of the regular season, we already knew the opponents. It's just about now. Uh, The order of games when the bye week falls and primetime games of which the Titans will have three, one on each of the opportunities, a primetime game on Monday night football against Buffalo, Sunday night football against the LA Rams in Los Angeles, and the Titans will host the San Francisco 49ers for a Thursday night football game in late December, just two days before Christmas. What do we think, guys? Uh, Initial impressions of this schedule.
0: So I was on vacation when the schedule came out, and I'm not going to lie to you. I literally just saw the schedule for the first time (laughs) right now. So my initial impression, it's a tough schedule. I I know we knew the opponents. I guess I I never really uh, took it into account too much. The good thing is we play the Jaguars and the Texans twice. Uh, And we always play the Colts close, So the division, we should have a a significant advantage in the division games. Uh, But some of these opponents are tough, you know, at Seattle is always a tough game. Uh, Buffalo, one of the best teams in the league, the chiefs, one of the best teams in the league, the Rams with Stafford. Now the saints, uh, although they're, they're, you know, switching quarterbacks, they still have a lot of talent on their roster. Uh, Then you have the dolphins and the 49ers who, who should be improved from last year. So, for me, it, it's tough, but the Titans are a good team, and I think they'll be able to navigate it rather well. Uh, I, I a lot of their home games are like a lot of the, the a lot of these tough games come at home, uh, so I think that will really help them, especially if, if the stadium comes back in full capacity. Uh, I think that's going to give them a big advantage in some of these games, and uh, I'm also really looking forward to these primetime games. They are they are exciting matchups.
3: Yeah, I did not have the same reaction when I saw the uh, schedule release. I don't know. Like, you start off with Arizona. They're not especially good. Seattle has been mediocre the last few years. Indianapolis just traded for the guy who leads, led league in interceptions last year. Then you got the Jets and Jacksonville. I mean, that's a five-game stretch where they should go four and one pretty – I mean, pretty easily. Then you got Buffalo and Kansas City, which is going to suck. But you do have Indianapolis, L.A., and New Orleans, and then Houston without – New Orleans without Drew Brees. And then you get New England, who isn't very good. Uh, Then you get Jacksonville, Pittsburgh in December with a broken down uh, Ben Roethlisberger, San Francisco with whatever – Amalgamation they're going with at quarterback, then Miami and at Houston to finish the year. I mean, I don't know. Like, that's what Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. Yeah, sta- half a Stafford. Like, so you have a what, like <laughs> three and a half, like, t- like good quarterbacks you play all season.
0: I think I'm doing a lot more projection than maybe.
3: I think, I think I it's hard. Be. Well, I think it's hard because we've seen Indianapolis uh like be good for a long time, but so yeah. we just assume they'll figure out quarterback play. But the quarterback they're placed him with is like the same guy as Jacoby Brissett, and that they're both not good football players who people know their name for some reason. So, like that, that's kind of going on there. And it's like, I mean, I, I don't know, like. They, they say that most of these matchups get decided by who the better quarterback is, and I don't know if I necessarily agree or disagree. But just in terms of, like, quarterbacks Ryan Tannehill is better than on this schedule, like, empirically no questions asked. I mean, it's got to be 10 games worth. I mean, you get four games just from – or six games just from the division, but then you get the – I don't know. Like, in terms of that, I, I'm not – I'm not particular. Now, now, they could lose these games because you can lose any game. But, I mean, I'm not particularly concerned.
1: I'm excited for the primetime games. Like, three is fun. And, you know, they're against good teams Buffalo, the Rams, I,
3: the 49ers. I should say I'm excited for the preseason games, of course. which is what I assume you meant to say there. But it is the return to preseason, which is nice. Not-
1: I mean, the destinations make sense uh, to Arthur Smith because the preseason games are scheduled by the teams. It's just like college. So you go to Arthur Smith in the first week. uh, You go to Tom Brady, Mike Vrabel's buddy, in the second week, uh, one of the members of the boys' club. And then I don't know what the Chicago connection
0: is, but. At least we get to see Justin Fields
1: in action. That should be cool. Here, too, in Nashville. I mean, you would yeah. think he'd play, so that'll be fun. I will not be. I will not be attending, but
3: will certainly will will be attending. Absolutely, will will be in the front row. <laughs> I mean, y'all say that like I won't, but <laughs> I will that, definitely be that, like at the one preseason. I game mean, for hey, sure.
1: I'm going to be pretty excited for that because that will be uh, number one. You know, watching Justin Fields will be fun. That's going to be my first game at Nissan Stadium since, uh, the end of the 2019 mm. season. Cause I didn't go to any games last year because they had a, a one credential per outlet rule. And so, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm excited to get back <laughs> and, uh, I'll be back this year. So looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. The home opener also like, uh, I know the Cardinals are, were really hit and hit or miss last year. Uh, but in Kyler Murray's Is this his third year? I think it's his third year. Yeah, yeah. He technically should be exploding it and finally taking off. I think that could be a really high-scoring game and one that could be uh, the better ones, at least of week one. And what's really exciting is, you know, all indications are that we are
1: trending toward that being a very much post-COVID, I'm not going to say world, but a post-COVID America. I just think it's going to be really just exhilarating to be in a full stadium you know Kyler Murray DeAndre Hopkins the Titans and and like I said you know full stadium I just think it's gonna be really really exciting and a big relief and and sort of feeling of ecstasy after this year from hell that we all have had because of the coronavirus
3: well I mean not not to say like this, there's no judgment in any of this, but I went to the Titans games and like I know what it was like and it was weird. Like, yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah. it's football and you get to watch it. Nobody's like bumping into you, but like, just from, from an empirical, like, I'm sitting at the second time I'm using empirical, but just from a like, what a certain area sounds like with 10,000 people versus what it sounds like with 60,000 people, it's going to be so much different. Like you can tell when you watch hockey games, like they're, they're, I think Nashville supposed to allow 70% uh, capacity for the playoffs, which is a huge bump from the 33%. I think they had, and it was already starting to feel more like regular hockey. So double that and, you know, put it in a sport where everybody's always loud and the pops are different. I mean, it'll be, super fun
1: yeah I'm, I'm i'm really looking forward to it I, i'm also looking forward to you know we need to get matt rogers on this podcast the new uh, pa guy he was my he was my choice among the uh the candidates i don't know how involved you guys got in uh like watching the features that they were putting out but
3: i, I voted for him twice
1: yeah I, I think he's gonna be really good um it will feel different because I didn't get to experience uh, Mike Donegan's last season. You know, it's third down. I didn't get to uh, experience that. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I I think it's going to be a lot of fun this season. Any any other thoughts on the schedule? I I think a late bye week is nice. I feel like that's kind of when you want it.
0: Yeah, I I – the The seventeen games are still jarring to me. It, it, it's It's gonna take some getting used to. And also my uh, the uh, my other main takeaway, I feel like we have played at Houston in the last week of the season every single year for like the last decade. Am I wrong? Am I wrong here? Well, so weeks week nope.
1: seventeen and and now week eighteen is always a divisional opponent for every team. and they do that so that the games theoretically mean more. So, I mean, you have a one-in-three shot of it being Houston every year. But it has, for the last two years, been Houston. What about uh, – tw- 2018 was the Colts because it was the Blaine Gabber yeah. Taywan yeah. Taylor
3: game. Um, it was the surprise Mariota. Like, my back is – Surprise! Were, I can't believe it was <laughs> uh, The worst. Um, that was brutal. Yeah, it feels like, oddly enough, it feels like we've played Houston when the Titans have been good. When they've been in the middle, they've played the Colts, and when they've been bad, they played the Jaguars, and yeah. it's just like done, <laughs> done ahead of time because you know I think they're just like, look, this is gonna like the team that should win the division should play Houston at the end of the year because like we, we don't know what's gonna happen in like we don't know what's gonna happen in Jacksonville, but we know they're gonna suck by December, so we need to give this team an easy layup, and we'll, they just need to decide whether it's the Colts or the Titans.
1: Here's what's confusing to me.
3: So I th- I was
1: under the impression that they ad- added a week to the season and and that extra week would essentially replace the fourth preseason game. But yet there's a regular season game being played on January 9th. So I guess everything still got bumped up a week. It's just the number of games hosted in the stadium has not changed.
0: I think it. they have an extra week of break, no? Or was the last preseason game always the last week of August and then the first week so of the season was always like September 10th? The
1: the last preseason games always fell two Thursdays before the season started. So it'd be on a Thursday, and then roster cuts would be that Saturday, and then eight days later, you would if you played on Sunday, you would kick off. And it looks like it's gonna so be that's, more so that's time it this is.
3: year. Yeah, so it would be the second yeah. Sunday in uh, that, September.
1: Yeah, now it's gonna be two full weeks it's two after weeks. your first after your final yeah. preseason game. Unless you're uh the Bucks and the uh uh my mind who the Bucks play week Cowboys? one. Yeah, the Bucks and the Cowboys who will play on that Thursday.
0: Wasn't there supposed to be two bye weeks? Am I crazy? No,
3: that's that's what they're gonna do when they go up to eighteen weeks, which will be in a couple of years.
0: Eighteen games. Yeah,
3: eighteen games, sorry. Okay because that's gotcha. that's what they've already pre negotiated with uh the CBA.
1: I'm tenfold going, conspiracy theory. I'm I'm going to refrain from having the argument over whether this is a necessary <laughs> addition. Um, yeah, they
3: should just go ahead and do twenty games like God intended. And then we'll see what happens after that. If, if we get more teams, we'll add more. Every other sports league does a hundred games for a regular season. I'm, play, I'm okay with doing four more of the good one.
1: If they play 20 games. They might need me and you to be playing for them by the
3: end. I will make uh, that sacrifice for the requisite <laughs> amount.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about rookie minicamp, guys. Uh, there's not a whole lot of takeaways from it. Um, I mean, the, the biggest takeaway in the league was Travis Etienne running routes at receiver for the Jaguars. But as far as the Titans are concerned, I thought Des Fitzpatrick looked okay. He looked pretty smooth to me out of his breaks. Racy McMath has footwork that is not very good, but he's built like a friggin' tree uh, to the point where uh, to a lot of us he looked sort of like a tight end, and he was wearing number one. So a lot of people kind of made the natural uh, Johnny Smith comparison there. Uh, other guys, Naquan Jones, the undrafted free agent. We'll talk about him with Justin Mello. He was the only defensive lineman at rookie minicamp, and so he was getting like three-on-one coaching at some points. That's really all I have. Elijah Molden is hurt in some capacity. I don't think it's that big of a deal. He He did practice. He was just limited. No Farley. That's probably to be expected. Weaver was out there. And I'm just sort of kind of rambling my <laughs> rambling out my notebook of observations uh, from from what you all uh, have seen or, or heard. What, what did y'all think about these developments of rookie minicamp?
0: I don't I don't have too many thoughts. Uh, maybe Will has some. Uh, yeah, um, I can
3: talk about it. Uh, like, I think Weaver being there is a good sign. Because, yeah, I was
0: gonna. I was gonna say that it feels like that entire story has just died down completely. Yeah,
3: it's, It seems like there's not, and whatever. Like the will come out, and we'll know it at some point. But it doesn't feel like there's a lot of momentum behind it, where it's heated one thing and then it opens up a closet full of skeletons, which is nice because that's happening, you know, a few a few states south in Texas. So hmm. I, I mean. I haven't heard I, from I'm that
1: just, I, lately either, by the way,
3: it's, it's starting. There's some stuff that's starting to pick up because I, I don't want to get into it here just because I, I don't know enough about it to talk, but uh, there's the, it, it has gotten rehashed a little bit more in the past few days, but uh, back on Weaver, like it's good to see him in camp because we've seen guys not show up to camps for a lot less not necessarily rookie camps, but I mean, we've seen Beasley like hide. We, I mean, we've seen Isaiah Wilson get COVID or allegedly or whatever happened there, jump out of windows and stuff. So, like, we it's always better to have your eyes on guys and to say like, okay, I'm looking at them. They're clearly in shape. They're they're committed. They're working. They're taking coaching. That that's good. Like they're doing the things they should be doing, and they don't look—it doesn't look confusing or too big for them. Uh, the other takeaway I have is that I don't—I don't know how much to put into this, but the fact that they didn't add any undrafted free agent wide receivers, other than Kalijah Lipscomb, who they signed, but who isn't really undrafted free agent from this year because he was a guy from last year. He a—he had,
1: had a uh, terrible day. That day that I, I was there, he dropped I mean, like six passes and then hurt his hamstring.
3: It, yeah, and that was still enough to get him the the, the yeah. job going into camp. So that tells whatever. you all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but like for Fitzpatrick, that that's a vote of confidence. And then you know, like you said, it's not going. Like Math's footwork is legendary, or he's e- exceptional, but you look at the two guys on paper and you would think that McMath would be smoother and more explosive and stuff, but it, I mean, Fitzgerald looked good in all the clips that I saw. And I like that. Patrick. The. Yep. That's right. Not Fitzgerald. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it a hundred times because there's a famous receiver named Larry (laughs) Fitzgerald Fitzgerald. and nobody knew who this guy was three weeks ago, but anyway, I I will slowly adapt to that. Uh, But the other big news is obviously the, the corners not being there, and like you said, like I don't think any of that's exceptionally scary. Like it's not like any of them got on the field and then had to be like carted off or walk off or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. They're just being precautionary.
1: Yeah, uh, Farley. I don't know that really we expected. I think it would have been probably more surprising to see him out there. And he's just he said that he works with Todd Torricelli, who's the sports medicine director, while the team practices, and then he's still doing all the meeting room stuff and everything like that. And, you know, he may be involved in walkthroughs and and stuff. We don't know. And then Molden didn't practice until the last period, which was a modified seven-on-seven. And it was modified in the sense that they would snap the ball and run the play, but there would be no pass thrown. It would just sort of stop before the pass would be thrown. And he participated in that. So, like, uh, it's not a big deal. And, And we're to the point where... You know, Mike Vrabel is very slow with how he likes to bring players back from injuries, especially at this time of year. So um this isn't this is not a concern.
3: Yeah, we're just oh. I mean, that's that's all I'm good. freaking out. Yeah <laughs> freaking out
0: about Farley not yeah.
3: back. <laughs> Matisse's first message is back from uh, from (laughs) vacation where what's going on with with caleb varley like he needs like 800 texts
1: had had back surgery a month ago why is he not practicing yeah um let's talk about a former titan tajay sharp released by the kansas city chiefs on i think monday There's been some, like, jokey stuff on Titans Twitter about, like, oh, the Titans should bring back Tajay Sharp. (laughs) But, like, I don't think it'd be that bad of an idea.
0: (laughs) Why not? I mean, how much are you going to pay him? Like, the minimum? You might as well bring him in for some competition. And if he's better than some of these other guys who are pretty much fringe roster players, what does it hurt you? Nothing.
3: Yeah. I mean, the whole argument is well, we know he's not good. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I mean, we know he's not we great. Know,
0: we know Cameron Batson isn't good. Yeah, so
3: what is- yeah, it's like we know several, like, wide receiver fives and sixes in the league aren't good. But all you have to do at that point is just be not terrible. And I think I can confidently confidently say that Tajay Sharp is not terrible. Like, I mean, his, his rookie year, and I've said this several times lately, is – his rookie year was basically the same year that uh, Pittman had for Indianapolis last year. And he's getting, you know, everybody falling over backwards talking about how great he is. And how he's going to be a stud wide receiver too. Like, I mean, a 500 yard receiver is a 500 yard receiver. So I don't know, like it, we, we talk a lot right now, but wait until you have to see Nick Westbrook Akina, like get some actual snaps and then tell me how you feel.
1: I mean, he's not like gonna come in and save the Titans, but you can't be you. You can't on one hand say, "Man, this wide receiver depth stinks." Well, you know why don't they bring back that guy they had? You know he didn't really make it with other teams, but he's. He, oh no, not him! No, no. Like I don't think you can say both things.
0: It's like no. At the very least, he is going to catch the ball. He didn't have very many drops when he was here, and he would always catch the ball. Granted, he was not very athletic. He didn't do anything after the catch, but at least he will catch the ball. And like like I said before, what does it hurt you to to, to bring him in? We have on the roster right now guys like Chester Rogers, Marcus Johnson, Cody Hollister. Well, like <laughs> it doesn't hurt us anything to just uh, sign him. And at the at the very worst, he comes in. When a lot of years are injured and he just fills in on those snaps, it's fine. And it wasn't –
3: I mean, there was a good stretch of time, maybe an eight-week stretch, where after Tannehill started his first games for the Titans, Tajay Sharp was the guy who was leading in touchdown receptions from Tannehill on a team with A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. So, I mean – Take that, I mean, take it for what it's worth. Obviously, he wouldn't do that now, but he, they did have some sort of chemistry. So, I mean, if he, if you, if the base level you need him for is wide receiver five, and his best trait is that he has chemistry with your, you know, I, I don't know, call him a franchise quarterback, whatever you want to call him, with Tannehill, but like that's that's not a bad thing. To have somebody who can just slide in immediately, I don't know why everybody's so like high and mighty about. it.
0: Yeah, I'm with the, you. 100%. The one thing I'll say negatively is I don't know how we didn't get any, barely any snap in Minnesota uh, when they were giving Chad Beebe and B.C. Johnson um, snaps ahead of him. So that that was a little concerning. I thought he would slot in as like at least uh, the wide receiver three, uh, but they really you know didn't need any more receivers to be honest because they had Thielen and Justin Jefferson. But like we said for the minimum, might as well.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. Like, It's not like they're going to give up a whole lot of resources for this. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to hear from Justin Mello, our good friend, and he's going to talk about the NFL draft with us. So stay tuned because in 30 seconds we're going to be talking to Justin. Alright, as promised, it is after the draft, and so Justin Mello, our friend, is back to talk to us about the Titans draft class, and we will get to dive into all of their picks. You can follow him on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can read him at thedraftnetwork.com. He also covers the Titans for Broadway sports. Justin, overall thoughts on this Titans draft class. It's been two or three weeks now since the draft. We've all had some time to marinate on it. What overall did they get and what overall did they not get?
2: Yeah, I think what they got is, is a couple of good pieces, you know, both on offense and on defense. Uh, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, I was a, a big fan of the Caleb Farley pick. Um, as you know, a guy that I would have had a top 10 grade on on my board, if it wasn't for the back injury. And then I was still comfortable placing him in my top 15 overall final big board that dropped on the draft network. Uh, and Elijah Molden was another pick that I was absolutely uh, in love with a guy that I thought was a top 50 player was absolutely shocked to see him last all day. Um, you know, uh, to hundred, you know, where they got him there uh, at the back end of the third round with that comp pick. I think Dylan Radins is, is a guy that can be a right tackle a starting a starter for a long time. So I, I know that pick maybe wasn't the most popular at the time. I, I know Titans fans really wanted a receiver there. And there were some great ones on the board, and, and you can make that argument. Uh, but I think ultimately they got a good right tackle there. So uh, they got some good pieces, guys, that I think are going to contribute and be starters for a long time. Do you think Raidens is going to start day one? That's that's a great question. That's That's tough. I think he should have every opportunity to. I'll frame it that way. I think they should enter camp with a wide open competition at right tackle. I don't think anyone should really be seen as the favorite. Uh, Kendall Lamb is new here and you know they, they gave him a, a decent little contract. Not a lot of money, but it's also not the, that minimum, so to speak. Tyson Milo was back. You know, they, they liked what they saw in him last year as a swing guy that played a lot at left tackle. And, and Radens being a second round pick should have every opportunity to win the job. Uh, I, I have a feeling it's going to be lamb to start the season. I, I think that's how it's going to go based on Radens being, you know, a, a small school guy, didn't really get to play in 2020, only played one game, uh, you know, due to co- uh, the impact that COVID had on his season. Uh, but it, it should be a wide open competition and it wouldn't shock me if Radens won the job. Justin, what was your favorite pick from this Times draft
0: class? And what was least favorite? I assume the least favorite was Monty Wright because it seems to be the popular choice, but uh, yeah, go ahead with those.
2: Yeah, I think my favorite, I guess, you know, if I'm looking at it from a value perspective, then it, it has to go back to Elijah Molden. Uh, I really didn't see him lasting as long as he did there at a hundredth overall. It still doesn't make sense to me. And it's funny. Uh, I'll I'll tell a little story. I had this conversation uh, with his agent a couple of weeks after a week or two after the draft. And I said, you know, NFL defenses. And of course he agreed with me. NFL defenses are, are in nickel more than anything nowadays, right? Base three fours, base four threes, not really a thing anymore. Offenses are explosive. You need three corners on the field. You need multiple DBs on the field with that being the case with us having this knowledge, and I'd love to ask this question to a general manager. Why are we still not valuing nickel corners the way that we should be? They're so important to today's game. They're so important to today's defense. Why is Elijah Molden going at 100 overall? I know he's not the biggest guy in the world, and I know he didn't test exceptionally well. It could have something to do with it. But when you watch the tape, it's a no brainer. Right? One of the easiest studies you could have in, in this class. And he may make, you know, I could look foolish two, three years from now, but I'm very confident. This is a really good football player. In fact, I had to write my, a scouting report on him. I did that for Broadway about a month before the draft and certainly didn't know, of course, that he was going to be a Titan. If you go back and read that now, it's the same thing. I was full of compliments on him, right? And I said, this guy's a terrific fit in Tennessee's defense. So that was my favorite pick. I think the value there is through the roof. It was one of my favorite picks in the entire draft period. You know, was a guy who studies the entire class. Uh, it was one of my favorite picks. Period. That any team made. In terms of my least favorite, you nailed it on the head. You know, the Monty Rice pick is, is one that I struggled with at the time. Um, and, and I think, and I'm not trying to, to to break it in, so to speak, but I think there's a chance where we could look back on that pick and, and grow to like it. I, I think they're thinking long term with it. Of course, you know, you've got uh, Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown on contract years entering this season. Um, And and 2022, Monty Rice could be a starter and it could look good, you know, then it it could look like the right move then. But ultimately, why I still sort of criticize the selection is it was a luxury pick for a team that wasn't in a position to make a luxury pick. You know what I mean? They, They were not in a position to address 2022 needs. They needed more in – twenty. they needed a receiver, as we all know, in 2021. And trading out of that pick where Amari Rodgers gets picked there, right, at 85, a guy who I think would have fit this offense well could have come and played in the slot for you. It's interesting that you trade that pick to a team that runs a similar scheme to what you run on offense, right, with Matt LaFleur there in Green Bay and take Amari Rodgers. And, look, the Titans knew that. That's one thing maybe not not I don't think every fan realizes when they're trading picks away they know for the most they know who's going. They know Green is coming up to get Amari Rodgers. The Titans didn't want Amari Rodgers. And that's what I find interesting that you you didn't want a guy that another team that runs a similar, you know, runs a similar scheme on offense, they go up and get him. Let's just say I think we should watch very closely what kind of pro Amari Rodgers becomes.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because you know, everybody talks about the value of uh Fitzpatrick and where they got him based off of everything we know about Robinson. The suggestion there is that they had an equal to or better grade on Fitzpatrick than they did on Amari Rogers, just because they've talked so much about having pods of players and to basically trade out of that spot. And then to, to, like you said, to use the pick on rice, they're basically saying they think there's either no difference between the two or they had, Fitzgerald rate, or Fitzpatrick, I've, I've done that a million times, uh, <laughs> rated higher. Um, but, yeah, so one of the things I want to talk about isn't actually in the drafted players. It's the undrafted players because I look at the undrafted class and you see all the tight end, H-back type bodies. They've got Carter. They've got Miller Forrestal from Alabama, who I really like. They've got Bradley Moore. Like, I, I don't know how much of the sixth round, round was – planned in terms of, okay, we're going to grab these two special teams guys, and then we're going to get on the phones and call up all the guys who might be potential undrafted free agents at tight end. But it does seem like they attacked that position exceptionally hard. And at some point in the draft, they just decided, we don't think there's a big enough improvement in the, you know, let's say the fourth round for the tight end we could grab as opposed to the undrafted guys. I looked on your big board and I couldn't find any of those three undrafted tight ends on there. But I was wondering if you had any insight in that or any opinion on any of those guys.
2: One thing I will say about the tight ends that they – first of all is it was not a deep draft at the tight end class. So you're right in terms of as soon as you got to round four or five or so, I think Brevin Jordan was still on the board at that point. So that's an interesting one that they passed on several times. But outside of Brevin Jordan uh, being available late, it was not a deep deep, tight end class. What I would have been very curious to see – remember, when they traded out of that Amari Rodgers pick, look at the couple guys that went before him right 100 uh, Hunter long Boston College kid went uh, just a couple picks before 85. I believe Tommy Tremble did as well. so interesting to know if they were maybe targeting one of those guys and that's why they moved back uh, and said we'll go get, we'll go ahead and get Monty Rice later and pick up a couple extra picks and then they trade up right immediately uh, when day three starts to grab Fitzpatrick. So one thing I'll say about the tight ends is I think they're quite different the two that they signed with, with Miller uh, Foresaw out of Alabama I think he's a guy that's a really good blocker. And that's how they used him there at Alabama, especially down the stretch. They also had so many weapons, right, in the passing game that you wonder if there's a little untapped potential there uh, for his pass catcher. Maybe he got lost in the shuffle there. But I do think he's a really good blocker, and that's probably be, uh, that would, that'll probably be what he has to hang his hat on if he hopes to make the team. Whereas Briley Moore, I think, gives them a little something different. You know, coming out of Kansas State there, he's a bit of a weapon in the passing game, and he's a good athlete. You look at Miller Forrestall. I don't think anyone's going to describe him as a terrific athlete. I mean, at this train pro day, he had a couple things he did all right, a couple other things he didn't do uh, so good. Uh, but you look at Moore, there's some explosiveness there. So I think that's the guy, if you're going to see a tight end make this roster um, uh, that's going to be a weapon in the passing game as a UDFA, then it would have to be Briley Moore. But don't rule out Miller for, for making the team over him. I know everyone's jumping on the Briley Moore train right now because of the athletic ability that he has, but it wouldn't shock me if if, if Miller Force is the one that makes the team. I think the player that I've been the most excited or
1: interested to ask you about leading up to this, Justin, is Des Fitzpatrick. And and Will, you mentioned him a minute ago. I, I don't really even have a specific question. I just want as much knowledge as possible on this guy because regardless of whether he's worthy of it, he's gonna have a he's gonna have to have a pretty big role barring some sort of uh roster move that has not been made so I mean what is this guy capable of
2: yeah I'm, I'm glad you you have a general a uh, general question like that because I actually just interviewed you guys got a chance but I published an interview with him on, on Broadway sports just the other day and I got to I had a really good phone conversation with him one thing I'll say about him uh right off the bat is he's a terrific kid unbelievable the attitude look he he says all the right things the work ethic is there I I have no doubt that he's a terrific person and he's going to work really hard at this. And he sees the opportunity that he has. And Hey, that's more than we can say about the first round pick they had last year. Right. So this is a guy that's coming in with the right attitude. He sees an opportunity uh, and he impressed the crap out of me in that interview. And and I get the sense that the Titans really liked him and and obviously, I mean, they they drafted him, they traded up to get him. Perhaps that goes without saying, but I get the sense that they really like. one thing he said to me that I found was very interesting was that he said from the moment he met with them at the Senior Bowl, he knew that he was going to have multiple more meetings with them. And that's not because they told him that. He just said that initial 15-minute meeting at the Senior Bowl went so well, I knew that I would be hearing from them again. And so, so that stood out to me a lot when I had a conversation with him. When you look at what he can do, um, I, I think he's – and I hate to bring up this name because we know what the Titans fan base is like, but I think he's a more athletic Tajay Sharp. Oh, absolutely. I see, similar, right? I, I see some similarities to his game where he's a really good route runner. He's a technician. He's advanced uh, in that area of the game. He's maybe not a, a terrific athlete but he's absolutely a better athlete than Tajay Sharp is. I think if, you know, sh- the thing that got sharp in trouble, in my opinion, and, and it's why he- maybe he's not currently in the league um, is the, the feet, the feet weren't quick enough with Tajay Sharp, right? Like sometimes he was stuck in molasses ru- running routes at times. Yeah. Uh Whereas Des Fitzpatrick uh, is better in that area. I mean, he ran a good 40. You saw some of the athletic testing which was pretty solid. So, One thing I like about the fit here, and I know it, look, and I'll put my hand up and I'll agree. I think every Titans fan would have liked to see them maybe draft a more exciting receiver, maybe get one a little earlier than they did. One thing I do like about Des Fitzpatrick is that I think because he's such an advanced route runner, he's such a good technician, and he's got this great attitude is I think he's ready for immediate snaps. Right. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. what's really important about this fit is he's ready And I had this argument with a couple of my colleagues at Broadway. I talked to him about, I think it was, was it his freshman season? I'd have to junior or freshman year. I can't remember which year it was. The year that he played with Lamar Jackson. That would have been his freshman year. year. There you go. His freshman season where he played with Lamar Jackson. That's the only time he had a quarterback. Let's be honest. The only time in college that he had a quarterback. Well, and and, (laughs) and I was
1: going to ask you about that because I did a pop-up live show after rookie minicamp And I talked about something we've talked about on here, which is that, you know, he never got 1,000 yards in college. He was a four-year starter. And I had a lot of people in the comments that were like, man, Luke doesn't know what he's talking about. He had a bad quarterback. Okay, my response to that is, you know, I I still think it's potentially a fair measure. Where do you stand on that? Because he was a four-year starter, but yet you look at the production and it's not really that eye-popping,
2: even with four years of it. And you bring up a good point there. For me, though, what I'll say is a young guy, a really young guy, that put up 700 yards receiving, the only time he had a quarterback worth a damn, to me, that's a guy that is absolutely was capable of putting up 1,000 yards in, in his later in his career if he had a quarterback. So, it, it, look, it's not eye-popping, and, and you can make the argument that great talents can transcend some of that, right? A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, they didn't play with great quarterbacks at all right? And they still put up some numbers at times. So Des didn't do that, right? That that's, He didn't transcend the talent there. But a guy, again, that put up 700 yards at such a young age, what's the difference? It was the only time he had a quarterback. You're telling me in his senior year, he doesn't put up a thousand yards? If it's a full season and he's got a good QB, I think he absolutely does that.
1: One more quick follow on Des Fitzpatrick. Do you think he's position versatile or is he outside only?
2: I think he can play in the slot a little. I think he can play in the slot. I think he's such a good technician and such a great route runner. I I think he's capable of playing in the slot. He's he's on the bigger side, obviously, but I I think it's possible that he can play in the slot. I I do.
0: What position group on the Titans do you think is still the weakest post-draft? Is there a specific position you believe they maybe should have targeted more aggressively in the draft? Is Is it the receiver position still?
2: it would have to be a toss up between receiver and tight end, right? I think everybody would agree with that. I mean, I am probably going to say tight end because you have AJ Brown at wide receiver, you know, and yes, they're not deep enough. And you're certainly concerned about the wide receiver, two wide receiver, three depth, all that. Well, you've got an absolute superstar at wide receiver one at tight end. You don't have either of them, right? have a, you don't have a bona fide talent and you don't have depth. So I think there's no doubt that it's probably the tight end position.
3: Yeah. So let's go from the worst position to the best position group, because I would argue that last year going into the season, one of the deepest positions they had was cornerback, even though, I mean, we saw how that went down and I always had questions about how they were going to use those three corners together. Fast forward to now, and the defensive backfield has been completely remade, but I still have the same question, which is where does Christian Fulton end up? Because, I've, I've tried to figure it out. I've tried to say maybe he'll split some bat time and somebody will go inside. Maybe Farley chases somebody across the field. Like, But in my head, I can't figure out how Fulton gets to see any significant time because I, I think Molden's going to take all his snaps inside the, at the slot unless they use him as some sort of uh, – Molden. Unless they use Molden as some sort of dime safety and then Fulton comes and plays in the slot – what, what kind of projection are you thinking of right now for uh, Christian Fulton?
2: Yeah, we're, we're all slightly disagree with you the, with the first part of, of what you said there is that I do think Fulton is absolutely going to be one of their top three corners this year. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to be molded. I think it'll be Fulton. Um, but, but what And I can't wait. It's going to be fascinating to me, actually. And you've probably got to be a, a, a big fan or cover the team to be fascinated by this. But where Fulton plays, I, I can't wait to find out. And it's fascinating to me because when they drafted him last year, I was very confident that they were going to play him in the slot. I think the, the plan was to start him at nickel. You um, know, when they drafted him, you had a Dory Jackson, you had Malcolm Butler. They were not going to kick either of those guys inside and, and they didn't or they wouldn't have. Uh, and I think Fulton was the plan there. And I remember when they drafted him. And I think, Luke, I think you also did a similar piece, right, where you spoke to LSU cornerback coach. I believe it's Corey Raymond was his yep. name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he talked about his ability to play in the, in the nickel. And that he goes, we had plans for him at LSU to play him in the nickel. That's where he was going to play. I, I think it's very possible that Fulton still starts in the nickel this year. Uh, I, I, if I, if I was a betting, I had to put money down right now, I would say he's going to be their starting nickel, but I'm not as confident in it as I was heading in the last year, because I think you could also kick Jack rabbit inside and play Janoris Jenkins in the slot. Whereas I didn't think that was the case with a Jackson or Malcolm Butler, but that's what I mean when I say it's fascinating to me, what do they plan to play? Do they plan to kick Jack rabbit inside and play full on the boundary? Or do they want to play Fulton uh, inside and have Jackrabbit on the boundary? I think it's going to be Jackrabbit on the outside with Fulton in the slot. And to answer sort of the second part of your question uh, regarding Molden, I see a similar role for him. Uh, of course, barring injury, he can step in. But if everybody's healthy, I think he's Amani Hooker in Amani Hooker's, Hooker's rookie year. Remember when they drafted Amani Hooker and everyone said, well, you know, it's a similar mid-round, they didn't really need a safety. Right. Interesting. You know, they had just drafted Dean Crookshank not that long ago. You had Kenny Vaccaro. You had Kevin Byard. Interesting that they went out and gotten safety. I see similarities between their game. Whereas remember when John Robinson spoke about that hooker pick? He said, oh, as soon as we turned the tape on, we saw the football IQ. We saw how smart he was. We needed this kind of guy. Well, what happened? Amani Hooker came in, played more than any of us expect. Right. Because they started using him as that dime or they started using him as that third safety. Right. Dean Pease loved those three safety looks. That's how they used Amani Hooker. I think Elijah Molden has the same level football IQ. I think he's brilliant. I think he's smart. I think he gets his. I think he finds his way on the field as a rookie. But I think it's more in that uh, Amani Hooker role uh, uh, that Hooker played as as a rookie. That's a really good question. Let me ask this.
3: Yeah, let me ask this then. So um, I think when I'm thinking of prototype, I understand what you're saying in terms of that you know sixth guy off the bench that plays the extra safety position with Molden, but. Do you think they'll use Molden more in the box? Because when you watch him at Washington, he is just unrelenting. I mean, you can line him up inside, and he'll take on a pulling guard, and he'll do all that dirty work. He'll stick his nose in the fan, like all that stuff. Like, Do you think they use him more like Vaccaro, where they have him in the box and they leave Hooker back since he was a pretty good deep safety last year? Or do you think it'll just go like a natural progression where they move the, the two starting safeties, one of them is always going to move down in the box because they've got a better idea what's going on. Like, I, I guess that's a convoluted way of saying, do you think he replaces from a stylistic standpoint more of what Vaccaro off or if he's going to do more of what Hooker did last year?
2: I think he'll do more of what Hooker did last year because I think he's capable of playing in the box and I think you, I, that that's the big thing you're getting with him in my opinion is you can move him all over the defense. He doesn't have to be glued into the box. He doesn't have to be glued to Nickel. I think he can do so much for you. Uh, I think he can play in the box, but I would be beyond shocked if we see him in the box as much as we saw Kenny Vaccaro. Because let's be honest, that's where Kenny Vaccaro really thrived. Right, he's not a deep safety guy. Kenny Vicaro wants to bring the hammer. He wants to play near the line of scrimmage, right, and, and impact the game in that way. I don't think Molden is that guy, truthfully. And this may not be all that popular. I'd like to see Kevin Byard step into the box more this season mm-hmm. because I think, again, you you got some flexibility on the back end there, and I know Byard can be your ball hawk. But with Hooker back there, I think Molden can move a little back there. Out of the three of them, which one is best playing in the box in terms of skill set? I think Byard gives you the best uh, in there especially when it comes to covering tight ends. I'd like to see him match up more uh, in that side of the game. But I think the best thing you have here by replacing Vaccaro, let's say with a hooker or a Molden, is you gained more flexibility. You got safeties that are more versatile and can do more things than Kenny Vaccaro could. I I tend to agree with that, Justin, because
1: my general philosophy over the years has become safeties have the biggest impact when they play in the box. Now, I feel like I can go to the draft and find any old guy who's going to be an okay you know, deep cover two or, 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 or a center fielder in cover three, whereas when you're playing in the box, like you said, it requires this specific skill set. And I think that Bayard's full talents can be better used that way. And I think this whole conversation that we're having is fascinating because I personally feel like we get too caught up in – well, this is a slot cornerback, and this is an outside cornerback. And this is so, like because of how different slot receivers are these days. And Mike Vrabel made this point uh, to a question I asked him after I think it was the second round or the second and third rounds, where it's like, you know, if Michael Thomas is in the slot, then Caleb Farley might have to become a slot cornerback that week. But the next week, if you've got, you know, Jamison Crowder in the slot then maybe it is Molden. Do you think we're getting too caught up in labeling these cornerbacks, whereas it's really just about get three good players on the field and see what happens?
2: Yeah, I love that. and I love that you said that, and I love that, you know, Rabel's point on that because get good players on the field, right, and get good defenders on the field. And Elijah Molden, for example, is not strictly a slot corner. I mean, Washington played him quite a bit at safety. You know, they asked him to they asked them to move around the defense and get good versatile players on the field. And they have that on defense more this year than they had a year ago. Because again, Bayard can do multiple things for you. And I I feel good thinking that we're gonna see Bayard in the box more this year than we ever have. Let Molden play some in there. Let let Molden move to safety, right? As well. Where you know, ro- rotate those three, move them around, play, get them on the field. Christian Fulton, like you kind of on that point. Christian Fulton can play inside. Christian Fulton can play outside. I think Jack Rabbit Jenkins can play inside. I think he can play outside. Farley, we'd have to see it a little bit more because he's really been exclusively an outside guy, but he's so talented and and the natural ability is just through the roof. I I see no reason we can't move around. Uh, We just have to see him do it right and get maybe a little acclimated to it. Uh, but I, I think it's a great point. Get good defenders on the field. Let them be versatile. Let them fly to the ball. Move them around your defense and, and, and be tough to play offense against. Right? That's the ultimate goal, right? You want to be tough to play against. So uh, I think they got guys that can, that can do that for them.
0: Straying away a little bit from the Titans, which team do you think had the best draft overall? Was there a specific class that you thought maybe stood out more than the other ones?
2: Yeah, yeah, I've been asked this question a lot the last couple of weeks. And, you know, it, it may not be the most popular uh, uh, ch- choice, but I really like what the Carolina Panthers did. I, I really do. They got a, a bunch of guys that uh, I would have liked to see, you know, the Titans get guys that I had mocked uh, Tennessee to get. I thought J.C. Horn at pick number eight was was terrific. I think he's an elite corner that's going to start on the outside for a long time. A lot of Titans fans wanted Terrence Marshall, right? They are in the second round where, where the Titans – it's just a couple of picks before. So Marshall's a guy I loved coming out of LSU, big, fast receiver, excellent ball skills uh, was, you know, kind of flew under the radar there a little bit played alongside Justin Jefferson uh, and Jamar chase there uh, in that championship winning season. Tommy tremble in the third round was a tight end. As you guys know that I absolutely loved. was a huge fan of his wanted to see him on Tennessee. Loved the fit there. Brady Christensen, the tackle out of BYU, I think was a good pick. They got guys, they got good value later. Davion Nixon, who, who had him going 158th overall? You know, not many people. Uh, Keith Taylor, I love the corner. Elijah Molden's teammate there at Washington, huge fan of Keith Taylor. Big, fast, strong play on the outside at 166. I mean, that one shocked me. And Deontay Brown, the guard out of Alabama. I mean, I knew he wasn't going to be on every team's draft board because he's very much a specific style of guard. You're not going to ask him to move laterally and do a whole lot. He's a phone booth guy. But to get him at 193, I thought that was great. So I'm a big fan of what Carolina did.
3: Uh, let's, let's narrow the focus on that. How do you think the Titans draft compared to the rest of the AFC South? And – that's always hard, especially when you've got one team with two first-round picks and one team with no picks and, until the third round. But just in terms of going in with needs and addressing them, I know it's – like I said, I know it's a hard question, but I've just seen so much positive reinforcement for the Colts draft and Pay. who – whatever. If you like him, you like him. That's I, – I don't, I don't have a knock with that. I, I wasn't in love with him. I th- thought he was a first-round guy, but not a slam dunk. And then they also followed that up with getting Deo Dig- Odigbo, or I think that's how you pronounce the last name, uh, who was cool. And I enjoyed watching him, but he's coming off of an Achilles injury and he's going to have to be asked to step in immediately when he gets healthy. And I don't know, like, it, I guess that's lit- letting too much of my bias leave. It, why don't you go ahead and stack the class for classes for me?
2: Yeah, uh, I, I thought the Titans had the best draft in the division, and, and that's not because, don't get me wrong, I, I, that's, that's not bias. I, I don't think it's because I'm giving them an A-plus and they knocked it out of the park and yada, yada. I, I think it's more so a product of I don't think the other teams drafted very well at all, uh, truthfully. That's just my, my honest opinion. I mean, look, of course, Trevor Lawrence is a home run at number one. That's a no-brainer. Uh, ETN at 25, I mean, uh, I, I didn't hate it at the time. Uh, you know, the, uh, you could argue the value of a running back when they had a thousand yard undrafted guy last season. You can argue the value there. But I, I don't know. You know, Urban has him lining up at receiver and stuff. I, I don't really know what the heck is going on there. Tyson Campbell at thirty three. I, I was a little shocked by that. I mean, I think he's got all the tools uh, to be a good corner, but I did not think he would go at thirty three. I think there were much better players on the board there. Walker Little at forty five was I mean, that's the ultimate risk pick. That one really shocked me for Jacksonville. I mean, that's a guy, he looked like a first round pick the last time he was on the field, but he hasn't been on the field in two years, right? So I I really did not think he was going to go as early at 45. You know, Andre Sisco at 65 is okay. I think they got some good value in the fourth round with J2 Philae and Jordan Smith. After that, I don't think they got a whole lot. I mean, you look at Houston's draft. I mean, it's an absolute disaster, truthfully, right? For the most part, it might be the worst draft um, out of any team in the NFL, mm-hmm. all 32 teams. I mean, mainly they didn't have a first or second round pick. And then what do they do with that, that, that third round pick? They take a quarterback and I get it. They need insurance based on what's going on with Deshaun Watson. But I, I've got little to no faith that Davis Mills is an NFL starting quarterback. I mean, that would absolutely shock me to see Davis Mills turn into a starting quarterback. I mean, Nico Collins at 89, I did like that pick. I do like Nico Collins. I think he's going to get stuck there, unfortunately, with a team that probably won't have a QB. You know, Brevin Jordan was great value late, but, I mean, they only had a couple picks, right? And they, they did not do well enough at all. And that Davis Mills, to me, is just, just a, a shocking pick, really, truthfully. Uh, to have that be your first selection in the entire draft is not good. When I look at what the Colts did, I I, I don't get filled with, with butterflies either. You know, and I, I do like Quiddy Pay. I think he's a good football player. Uh, I thought they needed a tackle. You know, I know they just went out and signed Fisher, but that's a risk coming off the injury that he is. I was shocked they didn't go tackle earlier. The kid from Vanderbilt, Deo, could be great value. I I did really like him, but we'll see how he comes back from that injury. You might not get nothing from him, right, as a rookie. And then round four, they go out and get a tight end in Kylan Branson, um, who I was, you know, bullish on. Sean Davis, I was bullish on. They grabbed the QB from Texas. I mean, I'm probably a a great kid, but not someone I see being an NFL quarterback. Uh, So I don't think any of these teams drafted well at all. In the AFC, I mean, if I, I was ranking all 32 classes, all three of them are in my bo- or are probably in my bottom 10, truthfully. Houston would rank last. Yeah, last, I think
3: that's perfect. That's that's exactly what I
2: would say. Last thing for you, Justin.
1: I feel like every year in training camp, I walk in there and it takes like two weeks before I learn the names of the undrafted players and most of them just end up getting cut anyway. So for selfish purposes, but also for our listeners – who are the undrafteds we need to watch that you think legitimately have a shot to make this roster and aren't just sort of bodies for the next couple of months?
2: Yeah, I think two guys that stand out to me. And I'm going to be interviewing a lot of these kids and, and doing some fun stuff with them and trying to introduce the fan base to them. Uh, the two guys that stand out to me are, are, are Chandon Herring. is a versatile lineman from BYU uh, he looks pretty good the other day from what I gathered at, at rookie mini camp. He's a guy that I thought probably should have got drafted, can play multiple roles for you. And he did that at BYU. He played left guard. He played right guard. He played tackle. He's a big athletic guy. They're really deep across the O-line. The Titans are. But I think he's the guy that has a, a good chance uh, to make the team, and the second name I'll give you is is Naquan Jones, right? The interior lineman uh, out of Michigan State. The reason I bring up him is I think there's opportunity. First of all, wasn't he? I mean, Luke, you were there. I think he was the only D lineman the other day at rookie minicamp. So he was getting coached yeah. by four or five guys. It, it was right? he <laughs> coach by it's really
1: funny to watch. I mean, like you said, like Vrabel was over there, and and uh, Williams was over there. Like it was it was three on one coaching, and and right, and I think that speaks. Obviously, you know they only had one in the uh, in the undrafted in the rookie class, but also like there aren't that many on the roster to begin with interior defensive linemen.
2: And, and now you know why I bring him up, right? He's getting that three on one coaching the other day, and Vrabel talked about him right after in the press conference. How how often does Vrabel do that? You know, mention the name of a UDFA on day one or two that he liked and impressed him. So and he and he did that with Naquan Jones. And you look at it from an opportunity perspective. Who's he battling with? Tr Tart in my opinion, and Laurel Murchison. And, and neither of those guys are really guaranteed anything. I think Tart really flashed last year. We saw, you know, but it was, it was you know, here and there. We saw some plays, I think it was the Colts game. He made some really good plays at the goal line there. Uh, really blew up, a, I think blew up a running play and, and did it twice, actually, I think on a goal line stand. Uh, and Laurel Murchison, I mean, he didn't show a lot, but he's a fifth round pick. So, you know, they're, they're going to work with him, but he, he, Naquan Jones should have every chance, Every opportunity, there is nobody beaten down that is guaranteed anything. It's Naquan Jones, TR Tart, Laurel Murchison, and there's probably room for all three of them, truth be told. So yeah. if I had to take two UDFAs to watch, I mean, because last year Laurel Murchison made the team, TR Tart made the team, and of course you had Daquan Jones, Jack Crawford. So there's probably room for all of them. They're, they're, and Dickerson, right? So there's room for all of them. Mm. I think Dalen Mack is on the roster now as well. So there's a chance there. That's another guy. Look, yeah. why, why are you shaking your head there? I need to know, Lom. I, I just,
3: I, I hate. Okay, so Matt Dickerson, <laughs> notoriously the worst player the Titans have ever had. I mean, <laughs> that, that may be a little bit. I, I at one point I had a thread. There have been
2: worse O linemen. There have been worse O linemen that we've seen on this team. I mean, you remember I don't Will? Know. What is it? Will Spidic?
3: <laughs> Will Speed Tech – Speed TJ Watts B- uh, BFF. Uh, yeah, or that JJ was the worst Watts. I've ever seen. But So <laughs> I made this thread at one point where I just cut up every play he was in, and they would put him in on goal line situations, and inevitably <laughs> they would run right at him and score. They would run two <laughs> plays in another gap, and then they'd find him, and they'd run right at him and run right over him. And it happened <laughs> for five straight games, and I, it was just the worst <laughs> – and in the playoff game, Mike Vrabel started him at nose tackle the whole game and it, it just broke my brain. So Luke, Luke Luke says Matt Dickerson because he knows it's gonna like make it's it's the whole engineer Douglas thing too. Like yeah, where it's like you put him in for one play at center and he snaps the ball to the twenty yard line. Like I mean, it's, it's all these players who are just so bad and they I don't know why they start, but he's he's just trying to egg me off.
2: Uh, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't remember seeing him do anything good, so I, I got to tell the truth there. But uh, I think there's a chance there that Naquan Jones, T.R. Tart, and Larell Morrison all make the team. Right? It's not. It's not impossible. So Naquan Jones. That's answer, to circle back to your question, Luke. Naquan Jones, Chandon Herring. They're the two UDFA's that I think have the best chance. I know the punter. I, I, I didn't say the punter because we have Brett Kern. We know no, it's going to be you almost know, impossible.
1: I, he was bad. I, I saw him. He, the hang time is not good. That, there's really no chance, okay. Yeah. The what, a good, story. Though, right? what
2: a fun guy coming from Australia. He was great at Cincinnati. He had a really good college career. So, But if the hang time, that, that's interesting to know about the hang time. But he's such a fun guy and a fun story. Uh, yeah. I wonder if they stash him on the practice squad, though, at least. James Smith is his name, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah I said, James I Smith. St- uh, I stood and watched him for several
2: minutes on Saturday, and big, I mean, big, big career at Cincinnati. Very, I, I think there's a good chance he makes the practice squad, though. I'll, I'll say that because you know if you saw teams last year carry multiple punters on the practice squad, protecting guys. We don't know what those rules are going to be this year, but if they put a punter on the practice squad, it wouldn't shock me if it's him.
1: Yeah, I loved the practice squad rules last year. I wish they would keep them around. Even I did too. COVID. Yeah,
2: I thought they were terrific. But th- those are your two names: Chandon Herring, huge fan of his. Uh, and Naquan Jones, who I think uh, has a chance to to definitely make this team.
1: Justin, as always, we, uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you back on, and we really appreciate the time. And uh, let, let's not be strangers until, you know, next April. We'd love to have you back on sometime, hopefully between now and then.
2: Yeah, my phone tends to ring a lot in April. I'm one, I'm one of those guys. But you know, you guys know where to find me. The pleasure's always mine. And uh, for sure, we'll do it again. We really appreciate
1: Justin hopping on with us as always. He's just awesome every single time. If you want to read more of him or hear more of him, you can follow him on Twitter at M underscore NFL. You can read his stuff at the Draft Network, which you can find at thedraftnetwork.com. You can read him on Broadway Sports, which is broadwaysportsmedia.com. He also hosts the Music City Audible podcast along with our other good friend, Titans Film Room. You can find them on Twitter at MCA Broadway. It's time for stop the nonsense, folks. And we had a week off, so I feel like I have several to choose from. Uh, Will, would you like to kick
3: us off? Yeah, because mine. I think I don't know if it happened today or yesterday or whatever it was, but it happens every single off season and I'll just come out and say it, it's this weird fascination people have with usually running backs, sometimes offensive linemen, and how big their legs are. And <laughs> this time it was Mike Davis. And, I mean, he – he it was uh, – I don't know who originally posted it, but somebody posted a picture of him running where they were talking about how big his quads were. And then he, like, quote tweeted it and said, like, always had big legs man lol no photoshop it, it's this weird thing every year and it happened with AJ Dillon last year and it's just i think it happened with yeah Saquon got it the year before that where they called him like Saquad or whatever that weird stuff yeah. was it's like this borderline inappropriate thing where it's just like it, all of a sudden you see 40 pictures of guys like legs post on your timeline and like you instantly know what happened if you've been following football long enough but it's just such a weird thing to do. And I mean, cool. Like, I guess go ahead and do your thing. Whatever like, whatever you enjoy, you enjoy. But I just hate every year that we act like we have finally found the new perfect specimen for legs. And it's like, I, I, I don't know. It's just such a weird obsession for me. I, I do not understand it. I'll
1: go next. Uh, mine is simply every time that I do a live video for A to Z sports, like after a practice and I'm standing next to one of my coworkers, whether it's Buck, Austin Stanley or Zach Bingham, there's always multiple comments made on the broadcast without fail. Every time about my height. And the comments usually range around something like man is Zach just that tall, or is Luke just that short? Um, listen, why don't you just listen to what we're saying, like about the Titans, instead of demeaning me publicly? I'm not like offended. Stop or objectifying
3: anything. everybody.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm five eight, by the way. So... I'm five eight, so I'm not like tiny, but I'm also not like very tall. So a lot, yeah, yeah. That I, I don't I mean, At I mean, all serious. I don't care. I think it's funny. But, like, every time, like, those, those are the first comments. Like, this was the first one I'd done in, like, a year because I haven't been at Titans practices in, like, a year. And I, I clicked on it to watch back and first comment How tall is Buck? I'm like, not that tall. I'm just pretty short.
3: What you should do. Is you should slowly bend down a little bit more every segment. <laughs> yeah. And just make it seem like he's growing or you're shrinking <laughs> and just like, or like stand farther away or like all of a sudden stand on like top of a box that makes you taller than him just to see what the response would be.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Or like, or just get a box to stand on so that we're the same height.
3: Yeah. Just all of a sudden, everybody's, like, I swear they were different heights yesterday. <laughs>
0: I'm also 5'8", so I feel your pain, but um, it's not that bad. It's not like we're, you know, four feet tall. I don't even think worse. about
1: it unless someone says something.
0: <laughs> I, I know, honestly. <laughs> yeah, all right. So uh, I'll finish up here. Uh, I, I Honestly, I could talk about a lot of things, but I'm going to talk about uh, Tony Larusa. So the White Sox and the Twins were playing – uh Luke you're a baseball correspondent so correct me if i'm wrong on anything i say uh the white Sox were winning 15 to 4 i believe and it was the last inning and the twins brought in their their fat catcher uh Astudillo i think uh to come in and, and pitch you know and, and people love when position players pitch because they absolutely suck at it um so he, he would unless, he was, un, unless well, you're was,
1: Anthony unless you're Anthony Rizzo who struck out Freddie Freeman, a week or so
0: ago. I did I did see that uh, that the, the, the one of the one of well, the only baseball clips I saw.
1: Well, <laughs> Anthony, uh, Anthony Rizzo's an All Star first baseman, and Freddie Freeman won MVP last year.
3: Yeah, um, Otani and ever whatever. So <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I don't know what else you mean to say. <laughs> I only know one baseball player, and it's the best baseball player of all time.
0: <laughs> all right, so, <laughs> so anyway, the twi- the Sox are up fifteen to four. This position player is pitching for the Twins. It's a three zero count. He throws an EFIS pitch, a forty seven mile an hour <laughs> pitch, and then your Mercedes, who's like one of the strongest people I've ever seen, absolutely crushes this pitch in, in the last inning of the ball game. Goes like four hundred plus feet. Uh, and then everyone gets upset. Everyone gets upset. Why is he swinging on a three count it, 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 when the, so when the stupid. position player is pitching? It's so dumb. And so Sorry. the White Sox coach, Tony LaRussa, who, by the way, has had several DUIs in his career and is just a <laughs> terrible, terrible person. But anyway, he says uh, he called the swing a big mistake. And uh, what? he said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you didn't see this? Crazy. Yeah, he said it's a big big mistake. He missed a 3-0 take sign with that kind of lead. That's just sportsmanship and respect for the game and respect for your opponent. Oh, he made a mistake. So, so there will be a consequence that he has to endure here within our family, but it won't happen again. Okay. I, I don't even know where to start, but can you imagine? Can you imagine telling a 10-year-old baseball player I'm gonna punish you? For hitting a home run, for hitting a home run. Also, if you don't want him to hit a home run, don't put a position player out yeah, there to pitch. This is It's
1: not like yeah. This is not like football where you know you're up twenty four to nothing with a minute left and you're like throwing the ball. It's you can only do what you are given, and when you're giving an EFAS pitch with a three zero count. Take a hack at it.
0: I would have crushed it. I would have crushed that pitch. Sure. Also, it's baseball. There's no clock. They, they could have come back. They yeah. could have scored 12 runs in the next half inning. Exactly. And you lost the game because you didn't take that swing. So that that bothers me. And I know baseball has a lot of unwritten rules. Uh, I played baseball for, for a ton of years, so I understand it, but – I don't, I don't agree with it, and I feel like this has been happening in baseball for a little while, uh, especially last season when people were getting upset at Fernando Tatis Jr.
1: Oh, uh,
0: for running around the bases with a with some with some energy, and they're like, "Oh, you're not supposed to do that. It's it's disrespectful." Okay, don't give up the home run. Don't give it up.
3: Yeah, I've always said that.
0: That
1: that spark, the, the Tatis thing sparked maybe the best segment ESPN has ever had, where Jeff Passan went on. And he was like, "So I've made a graphic of the unwritten rules, so we can take a look at them." <laughs> they pulled up this graphic, and it said "unwritten rules:" colon, and then it was just a blank page. <laughs> and then he was like, <laughs> and, "And then, he, and then he was like, But if I put on my special unwritten rule glasses, and and you can't see me on the podcast.' But he like did like this, where he turns his hands upside down, and, and like makes them into goggles, like you do as a child. Oh man, it's so stupid."
0: like i i don't care Will, like any any comments yeah
3: <laughs> i mean you kind of already said it all like i mean Eva, Eva's pitches and uh unwritten rules like
0: i mean who you know, needs them right like I, i've noticed in football at least i feel like Coaches don't really care too much that anymore about this. I know a lot of teams don't really run up the score, but sometimes when they do and they're throwing late with like a 20, 30-point lead, I haven't seen over the last few years all that too many people getting upset about it.
3: Well, the, because the, the only, if you cry to your fan base in football, you have to live with it. If you cry to your fan base in baseball, you've got another game in two days. It doesn't matter. Everybody forgets about it in three games. Like, if you cry because the Colts run up the score, I mean, remember when the Texans put like a million points on the Titans? Like, I mean, they they couldn't have been like, oh, they shouldn't have run up the score on us, like, because like you're just saying I had did a bad job for a long period of time. The only like, unwritten just,
1: rule. In football that I've ever seen broken was when Greg Schiano had his defensive line <laughs> like
3: blitz. That was when awesome. the other team was taking a knee. <laughs> like I get that it, was bad.
0: Will you well, think that was
3: okay? No, like I don't like. It's not the blitzing that I think is cool. It's what he tried to do is he would try to have his guys before the ball got snapped. He and like he would try to like not have a, a defensive tackle come up and knock the ball out. And I'm like, that makes sense. Like. Why just give up if you're within, like, three points or whatever? If you can cause a fumble, like, do it. Like, I mean, it's hard for a center to snap a ball to the quarterback. Like, it's a lot harder than people think. So, if you can rattle somebody and if they think you're not going to come after them and you come after them and win that game, great. I remember that's how the Chiefs beat the Chargers one year on uh, Thursday night football, like, near Halloween, is Phillip Rivers mishandled the snap on, like, it was a run play to run out the clock, and they had like a minute left. And the Chiefs end it, and they win the game. Like,
1: I, I'm, at, ki- I'm kind of with you on that, but it's a really yeah. bad look. Like, yeah,
3: I mean, c- c- it is, for, unless for you this reason, for then, this then,
1: reason, the 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 injury thing.
3: Yeah, like, but then don't have everybody like go half speed and like stand straight up, and you won't get blown up. Like, just play a regular play. Like, that that's the problem, is that play is safe because everybody's just agreed to give up if you're the other team. That, I mean, there's a reason why teams just don't start taking a knee, like, two minutes out. Like, I don't know. That I, I think there's a lot worse things that you could do than to try to swipe that ball away. But having said that, there were times where – I think Greg Williams did it too, where they did actually just genuinely blitz. And I'm like, that's insane. But if your defensive tackle, like, swats at a center, like, his hand, like, I'm, I'm all for that.
1: All right. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week. Who knows what we'll have in store then. But until then, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.